everybody. Welcome to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, what's up? I'm Maggie. And I'm Julia. And we are here today with an episode that means a lot to us, mostly just because this is like our 17th time trying, trying. to record this episode. Yep. Um. So way back in the day when I was living <laughs> in Chicago. Yeah. When was it? It had to have been like... August, maybe? I think August. Yeah, beginning of August. Julia and I recorded this episode together in person Mm -hmm. in my apartment. It was really exciting. It was a really great time. And then the audio didn't work. I went (laughs) to record the episode and there was no audio. Right. Um, We used just one mic and we were doing it like round table style and your voice picked up but I think the issue was mine. Like I must have just kept leaning back in my seat. Yeah. <laughs> because um, I was out of range. Julia could not be heard at all. So, no. And I then, made some very good points. Did you? We'll never know. <laughs> Guess we'll find out. <laughs> um, so we had to uh, postpone the episode. Mm-hmm. And it's just been a crazy time for me now with grad school. So Yeah. And then you lost uh, power at one point. And I lost power and that was record. Yeah, that was a crazy night because it's not just when you're a kid and you lose power, it's just the lights. You're like, oh, there's no lights on. Mm-hmm. Ooh, spooky. But then when you're an adult who has to do things, you're like, oh, the Wi Fi's out and I can't charge <laughs> my laptop or my phone. And or, I'm cold. I'm cold. Uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> Yep. How do I make food now? Um, All of these things. Yes. It's less fun when you lose power as an adult. It really is. It's really just a pain in the butt, but the power's back on. We're doing the episode. Ah, A book battle. The battle between which is better, Hunger Games or Divergent. I mean, everybody knows it's Hunger Games, but we're here to hear you out. Um, also, I really want to just point something out real quick. Maggie. What? We only have three episodes left in this season. Ah! I know. How did this happen? How did this go by so quickly? I truly have no idea. I'm very excited. Yeah. Oh my god, we only have three episodes left. I know. It's crazy. So, anyway, duke it out in this episode. Divergent will come out on top. It I'm never sure will. Of it. it will. It will. I was going to say, before this gets even more heated, though, we should probably start with a truce. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess. This isn't technically a competition. <laughs> Both books are good. <laughs> we'll be friends at the end of this. Julia, you sound so bitter. <laughs> No, this is even this isn't even really like a battle. We're not fighting. We're comparing and contrasting two Which means the same thing. Series in yeah. a specific genre. That's all that it is. Yeah. And Maggie is on Team Hunger Games, which most of the world is. And I'm on Team Divergent because you'll find out why. To be continued. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> but well, this special thing is I wrote the summaries for this one. Julia, give us those summaries. Thank you. All right. I'm going to do the summary for the Hunger Games first. All right. So 
Here we go. I actually wrote it down this time. What? I know. I'm growing as a person, Margaret. Sure are, Juliana. (laughs) That's not my name. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Hunger Games. Katniss Everdeen lives in Panem, a society divided by resources and wealth. In the event of the annual Hunger Games, she must make a choice that will change the course of her life forever. In this thrilling dystopian trilogy, we see how human nature is pushed to the breaking point and just how far Katniss and her allies will go to survive. Will she be silenced by her society or will she rebel and lead a nation to a brighter future? Ooh, wow, good Thanks. job, Julia. You ready for the next one? Mm, you're giving me attitude, so no? <laughs> All right, Beatrice Pryor, oh, for Divergent, Beatrice Pryor lives in the futuristic city of dystopian Chicago, a society divided into factions based on collective morals. In the event of the choosing ceremony for all 16-year-olds, she must make a choice that will change the course of her life forever. In this thrilling dystopian trilogy, we see how human nature is pushed to the breaking point and just how far Trish and her friends will go to survive. Will she be silenced by her society or will she rebel and lead a nation to a brighter future? Who is to say? Uh, (laughs) In case you didn't catch it, they're the same summaries, but with different names. Look, they're dystopian trilogies. (laughs) For YA books. Um, Julia, Julia. Uh, we're coming in with very hot goblin energy today. Clearly. Mm-hmm. Julia is wearing a sweater with elbow pads, and evidently <laughs> now she thinks she can give us all attitude. <laughs> <laughs> very rude. The elbow pads are really what do it. <laughs> all right. Uh, Maggie, do you have some fun facts for us since we're switching the tables? Oh, how the turntables. Um So fun fact number one is about Veronica Roth, Mm. and she started Divergent when she was on her winter holiday during her undergrad. That's cool. Oh, can I, like, add on to this fun fact? No, Julia. Okay, fine. Finish yours, and then I have one that I just remembered. Go ahead. Okay. My eldest sister texted me when she saw our post about divergent Mm. versus hunger games and she worked with a woman whose daughter i think was either friends or roommates with veronica roth and so her co-worker like read it read Mm. divergent before it like in the first draft stage of it and so my sister knew vaguely about it before it was even like ever a thing Wow, that I is know. a good story. Right? It's crazy. What was I going to say? Oh, my next fun fact about Suzanne Collins. Mm. Suzanne Collins was the head writer on Clifford. What? In case you're wondering. <laughs> Wait, for the books or this uh, no, the TV show. terrifying movie? Not the movie. The TV show on PBS. I don't remember if I watched that on PBS. Oh, the animated TV show? I must have. Yeah, Clifford the Big Red Dog. And yeah, there was I mean, Clifford's I know, Puppy I know Days. Who Clifford. Oh, I remember Clifford's Puppy Days. Yeah. So those Suzanne Collins was the head writer for those. Dang. Mm-hmm. You went from Clifford to the Hunger Games. Honestly, I see it. So we have a lot of different levels of comparisons. I imagine this episode is going to be longer than 
a regular episode because we're deep diving into two books instead of deep diving into one. Hey, hey. Hey. But I compiled some notes just on the general books themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Hunger Games is 374 pages long. It has 27 chapters, and it was published by Scholastic Press in 2008. Woo! I know. Uh, Divergent is 487 pages long, so just over 100 pages more. 39 chapters, and published by HarperCollins in 2011. Both books include flashbacks, cliffhangers, and the ticking time bomb as plot devices. Uh, Both books are told in first-person narrative, meaning I, me, and such, right? That's first-person. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, The Hunger Games does have longer chapters, but it Mm -hmm. is overall shorter. Divergent, even being 100 pages longer, has shorter chapters. Uh. Both books feature a strong female lead, which is dope. And they're both written by females. Katniss is 16. Triss is also 16. I would like to see a book where, like, 20-year-olds are are having to overthrow stuff. Yeah, seriously. Like, why is it either 16, 18, 11, 12? There's no 20-year-olds. Well, this is a young adult novel. So, yeah. And it was just so nice to think that there were some in your age being this amazing. I guess. But also, I don't – I feel like both of the female leads have their flaws. Like, they're both really cool, but both of them also don't – they have hard times trusting. Yeah. No, they're both very flawed, which is what makes them interesting. Yeah. So, Maggie. Yes. Talk to us about the society of the Hunger Games. It basically, Panem is North America, and it's split up into 12 different districts. Used to be 13, but now 13 no longer exists, from what we know in the first book. And every district is split up based off of the different items that they produce. Um, Could be coal, uh, fish, lumber, whatever it is, and that's how they're split up. And then there's also the capital which is basically where the government is and where all of the rich people live. And to remind the citizens of their uprising and the war that they had started, every year a male and a female tribute from each district is chosen to fight in a Hunger Games. And it's televised basically everywhere, so everyone can watch it like at all times. They describe that a lot. In the book, it's like you watch it at school and you watch it at home. And it's just like you're constantly watching this battle until it's over. sporting event. Yeah. And then as the books go on, we get to know a little bit more of like the capital, especially because we don't really get to know a lot of that in the Hunger Games. It's really just so focused on the arena. But then as the books go on, you get to know a lot more about like President Snow and sort of the manipulations that happen between the people and the government. Quick side note. Did you read the prequel? Yeah, I did. Did you? 
No, I did not. Um, sorry, I didn't actually mean to laugh with that. I just had no interest in reading it. Yeah. Because I don't like President Snow and it's all about him, right? Yeah, yeah. Does it justify his behavior? Um, well, that book is kind of frustrating for me just because it wasn't the book that I wanted it to be, mm. which is not the fault on anybody. You know, I really wanted it to be this like meaty rise to power. And I wanted to like read about all of the grotesque things that he did to people to like mm-hmm. get into the position that he was. But it was actually about him as a teenager. So he was 17 or 18. And it was at the start of the Hunger Games. And basically, the people in his school were mentors to the tributes. So it's about him like being a mentor to his tribute and the things that he did to get her to win. And then there's a little bit after that, he like became a peacekeeper briefly. And so his like time doing that. And then it was like at the very end, you got a hint of where he was going. And throughout the entire book, he's like deceiving his classmates and he's like making sure that he can win. But it isn't like these horrible things he's doing as an adult. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just not what I wanted. I was like, yeah, I get like, I get that this is definitely where he must have started as a teenager. I understand that he would have led to be the President Snow that we see in the Hunger Games. It's just not the book that I wanted, you know? Yeah. All right. So I'll probably be fine not reading it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Divergent, for those of you that have read it or haven't read it and would like to know, the society in Divergent takes place in the city of Chicago. Um, Mm -hmm. Hunger Games is like a fallen United States. So it's bigger. The society in Divergent is much smaller. It's in a bubble, basically, of Chicago. And it is split into five different factions based on ethical beliefs on how society should be governed. Okay, so abnegation believes in selflessness. They believe that in giving your time and efforts to others is the best way to govern society and making sure like everyone is taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is Amity. They're, it, they are the peaceful or uh, faction. They will do anything to keep the peace, which kind of has a bit of sinisterness to it because like you could lie to someone if you don't yeah. want them to get upset. You you then are like twisting words in order for them to not be upset. Um, but their whole thing, they're big on farming. They're big on music and loving each other and hugging. Um, <laughs> as you can tell, I would probably not be in this faction. Um, Candor are the honest. They are black and white. They live. In, they live in black and white. They're like the judicial system of. <laughs> the factions where they there's no gray area everything is either is or is not and yeah. so that they really focus on telling the truths even if it hurts um but some people take it to the level of being brutal um right. which isn't cool like you can be truthful 
without hurting people. <laughs> well, yeah, candor is like your friend who just tells you, "Oh, I'm just like a really honest person. I just say yeah. how it is, it's and like, then they're I mean. just tell it like it is, and then they're yeah. giant bee holes." Um, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't count, you guys. <laughs> no. Like, uh, it's the worst. So then we have erudite, which value intelligence. Mm-hmm. And they, they're they the biggest, like, technological faction of it. They're constantly wanting to know. Their, their constant is knowledge. The more you know, the more you can make uh, decisions based on the knowledge. And so they are full of, like, all of the doctors and all of the the serums and stuff like that. They're the ones that are coming up with how to help people. But again, with knowledge, sometimes people believe that knowledge is power and they're constantly wanting to like, they're constantly wanting to gain more power, gain more, Mm -hmm. more and more. Like it's never enough. It's the insatiable need which I mean kind of sucks because if they weren't the bad guys of the book, I would totally want to be there because they just read all of the time. (laughs) Same. But they are not great. They're painted as the villains. Um, And then the next faction and the last faction is the Dauntless and they value bravery. They value acts of bravery in um in like times of trouble and so it's really funny in this book how abnegation who value selflessness and dauntless who value bravery are kind of like two sides of the same coin yeah Mm -hmm. because when you're brave and like trying to help other people that in itself is brave and you're like being selfless in trying to save others but the Dauntless in the book take a different turn to it. Like the Dauntless yeah. of the past are different from the Dauntless in the book, basically. Like they they have new leaders in the book and then are changing kind of the way that they do things, mm-hmm. which is much more brutal. They're like the warrior society of the factions. Yeah, well, it's like when power gets to your head, you know, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. all that that is, which is annoying. Yeah. Yeah, this book is definitely full of, like, it points out a lot of the different corruptions that each of the factions can fall prey to. Yeah, Um, yes. And the whole point of being divergent is that you hold more than one of those factions' ideologies in your brain. Like, you are using more than just one of them. Yes. Which is hunted down. People that are divergent are hunted down in their society because they don't fit into a box. God, it's so gross. So sad. It is so gross. (laughs) Uh, All right. So, Maggie. Yes. Let's discuss the families. Let's do it. Um, Okay. So, I have something. I have a few things that I want to say about the families. Well, for the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Um, the first point I want to make is sort of Prim as like a reflection character to Katniss. She's used in so many different ways in the first book. It's like astounding to me how they made this like really small character. Like it's kind of genius of Suzanne Collins because Prim is originally 
reaped in the Hunger Games. So Katniss sacrifices herself for Prim. But Prim is also like the reflection of Katniss. So two sisters grew up in the same district under the same roof, and they turned out to be such different people. Mm -hmm. And it's like what Katniss could have been if she didn't feel like she had to step up. I just, so smart. And Prim is the reason that Katniss like reaches out to Rue when she's in the arena because Rue reminds her of Prim. Just all genius. And then um, the dad, we know nothing. We know nothing of him. <laughs> he, he died. He is dead. A mining explosion? Yes. Right? Um, and when Katniss was really young, like I want to say 11. And that's mm-hmm. why Katniss um, is the way really, she is. Yeah. It's, she despises her mom because her mom like shut down after her dad died. And Katniss basically had to take care of her family all by herself. As a kid. Um, I mean, I'd be resentful too. At 11, if my mom was just like not responding and laying in bed and just letting my family slowly starve, I would also be angry. Like that's completely understandable and justified. I would not be happy. Um, And then there's the mom. And basically for the first book, you're just annoyed with her. Um, She doesn't have much going for her until the second book. And what I think is really weird is she doesn't have a name. She's just Katniss's mom, Mrs. Everdeen, (laughs) the entire time. Yeah, that's dumb. She needs to have a name. At least the parents in Divergent all have first names. They're not just Mrs. or Mr. Pryor. It's weird. It's super weird. Like, why doesn't she have a name? It wouldn't be that hard to just, like, give her something. Just, like, call her Mary or... I don't understand. Uh, So in Divergent, Triss also has one other sibling, um, similar to the way Katniss has a sibling. But Triss is actually, I think they're basically like Irish twins in the same situation where her brother is older and she is like literally 10 months younger than him. Yeah. Yes. Um, I believe that's what the term Irish twins. Yeah. It's when you're born in the same year. Um, so her older brother, Caleb, is 10 months older than her, than Beatrice, who mm-hmm. then changes her name to Tris. Um, her parents are Andrew and Natalie Pryor. And it's just really interesting to me because this family, none of them are naturally abnegation. Like none of them. Oh, yeah. Are, are from or stay in. But in their choosing ceremonies, Andrew, her dad, went from erudite, I believe, to abnegation. And then Natalie, Triss's mom, who has a very interesting backstory that we don't really get into until books two and three. But she goes from dauntless to abnegation. And then Beatrice and Caleb who were both like born into abnegation, neither of them stay. Beatrice then goes and she defects to the Dauntless faction, which Mm -hmm. is pretty funny because her mom is technically from there. And then Caleb defects to the Erudite, which is where his dad came from. Um, And so both parents now have no kids in the house and that has to be real awkward. (laughs) Super, super weird. 
Yeah, because like you're not supposed to acknowledge your family before your chosen family. Like you choose yeah. to go to another place, which is just interesting to me. It is. It's well, it's faction before blood, isn't that what they say? Yes, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I definitely understand that mentality. Not that I like completely heed to that mentality, but I'm someone that didn't stay in my hometown and oh, have yeah. no in, no intention of living in my hometown as I age. Um, and so, just from that point of view, her leaving her home is is something I can connect with. Whereas yeah. I feel like Katniss really, really fights for her home. Yes. Yeah, she does. She loves it. She mm-hmm. She's very loyal to her people mm-hmm. and her family. But that society kind of has to like, it pushes for that. You don't get to meet other districts. Like everyone is separated. Yeah. So you kind of have to be all in with the district that you live with. You have no choice. So yeah, there's no other option. Right. So. <laughs> poor, poor guys. Well, should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. Next up, romantic. I just interest. saw what was up next and immediately uh, groaned. Why? Uh, what is your deal I, with PETA? I love PETA. I have no issue with PETA. My issue is with Gail. Um, nobody likes Gail. I know nobody, nobody likes Gail, but it's just the whole. In the beginning of the book, Katniss only considered Gail as a brother, and I highlighted the points in it. I highlighted I it. so many different points where she's like, he is like a brother to me. And obviously, Gail really wanted to be in a relationship with her, but she was constantly, he was like a brother to me. And then when Peta and Katniss kiss in the games, then Katniss is like, oh, well, maybe I'm interested in Gail, actually. I was like, no, don't, don't, don't do this to anyone. Don't, it's just dumb. I hate, yeah. I hate, and I don't use that word lightly, uh, the triangle or the weird yeah. arrow that is the, I think the love interests. The problem is, is it's not really even a love triangle until Mockingjay. And Mockingjay's just terrible. Like half of the plot is just Katniss being like, who do I want to be with? Mm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then Gail and Peta have that disgusting conversation about her when they think that she's sleeping. And Gail's like, she's going to choose the person she can't survive without. And then she's upset because obviously you would be upset if someone said that about you. Right. And I'd be but, upset. And, <laughs> and also just like, well, what makes you think it's going to be you? Like, yeah. Just in a very antagonistic way. Heck off, dude. But I I stand by Katniss in the first two books because she's 16 years old and she's confused. She kisses Peta and it's her first kiss. And she states that she thinks that they are both on the same page, that they're like tricking the capital. The capital. Mm-hmm. She thinks that they're in on it together. So when she gives him her first kiss, she's like, is this the person I want to be kissing? Now I don't know. Like, I feel like I did this thing in front of all of Pan Am. Mm-hmm. And maybe I should have saved it for per- someone that I liked. But, but she also-, also did it to help save PETA. Totally. Like, and she she saw the game and PETA didn't see the game, which is the thing. Um, right. But she didn't know that. She thought that he knew what they were yeah, doing as well. She gave him more credit than 
Yeah. He really not deserved, but then he had. But also in that she had feelings for him, which was also conflicting. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time in general, not even just with teenagers, if you have one thing, so Katniss knows she likes PETA, but it's complicated. Mm -hmm. Then I think it's easy to sort of fall back from the complicated thing and be like, but look at this really easy thing. And I could just be with him and I could, my mom likes him. Yeah. could live next door to my parents and it could be super easy forever. I might have to kill this guy. (laughs) But she also like, even in considering that, is still trying to convince herself that she could love Gail more than a brother. Like she's, she's always been like, he is my friend. He is my brother. Right. But I, I think she wants to convince herself of that because she's scared. She's scared of her real feelings and it's easy to, it, she wants to do the thing that would be more comfortable, which given her yeah. personality and the fact that she's 16 totally makes sense. I just really don't like how she has a good thing going with PETA and then immediately is like, oh, but maybe Gail. Yeah. It, just, it bothers me. It bothers me. I don't like the message it sends to young people or not young people personally. I, I really I don't even think it's really sending a message. I think it if you take a message from it, like that's kind of on you and that's on the reader. But I, I think if you really look at Katniss's character, and we are deep in Katniss's mind all of the time. Mm-hmm. And so we really get to know Katniss. And by knowing Katniss, we understand that the things that she's thinking and the action she's taking is what can I do to survive? What can I do to make my life as easy as possible? And you're just sort of getting her train of thought. And if people are looking at it as manipulation or like choosing to be with someone you don't really like, I think that's kind of on them. That's what they're taking from the conversation. But I think that Candace is a confused 16-year-old girl on the brink of death, and she's terrified. She knows PETA might die. And she might end up with Gail. She might just want that comforting thing. And that's not a bad thing. She has a right to be that. She wants the right to choose that. Yeah. Still hate the triangle, though. Nobody likes it. I hate it. Nobody nobody enjoys it. Nobody no. likes Gail. Everybody no. loves PETA. PETA is perfect, okay? He makes He's- bread. I love him. And I realize I I'm 27. bread. And he's 16, (laughs) but I loved him when I was 14 and read the book for the first time. So it's okay because it's like a long standing love. I really like picturing Josh Hutcherson. Is it Hutcherson or Hutchinson? I think it's Hutcherson. I can never remember. I just really like picturing him as PETA because he's got such a sweet face. He does. I love it. And I'm pretty sure he's bisexual. I think I read that sometime somewhere. Hmm. Yeah. Seems like a pretty cool person that I would enjoy meeting, I think. Because he just has Uh, that face, that really nice face. He looks like he gives really good hugs. I just want to kiss him. He's just so cute. (laughs) (laughs) I would not immediately want to kiss him. That's fine. Because that's weird. I didn't like say I, gonna... I would want to hug him first and be like, "Hi, I'm Julia." Can I? I'm not going to walk up to him and kiss him. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying in general. That's what I was picturing. I'm just like between no. the two of us. No, in general, if the opportunity <laughs> arises, I will accept the opportunity to kiss him. That's what I'm saying. Okay, fair. He does a really good job at like 
throwing bread at Katniss too. Yeah, he movie. throws bread at people. He's sweet. He's funny. <laughs> um, he's patient. He takes Katniss for who she is. He never tries to change her. He encourages her to use. How do I want to put this? He wants her to be the best sh- that she can be. Mm-hmm. You know, he encourages her to mature in certain ways, but he never tries to change her. He loves her just as she is. He helps her with her PTSD. Mm-hmm. He's just so dang And he good. lost a freaking leg. Like, he has his own PTSD to worry about. Right? And he's still trying to take care of everyone else. Look. Which could be a way of avoiding his own PTSD. But I bet you he's dealing with it on his own. In a different way. Yes. Yep. Men, PETA is a blueprint for how you all should be. And that's just the tea. That's fair. I'll take that. I'll take that. Thank you. Though we got to get into Divergent. There's no love triangle. It is just four. It is just Tobias Eaton, who is dark and broody and covered in tattoos. So basically, he's Julia's type, but not Maggie's. (laughs) He's a very intelligent character. He, He and Triss can keep up with each other, Mm -hmm. which I absolutely love. Most of the time, they are on the same page, at least in the first book. Once the other books start going, then it gets incredibly frustrating. Like you forced conflict into it, Veronica Roth, and I don't appreciate it. It's rude. Um, Yeah. And then by by the third book, like I hate reading the third book. It makes me weep. Every single time because it, it it's written in like different perspectives. Like sometimes you have Katniss, sometimes you have four. And just if they just communicated, it would have ended so much differently. Uh, I know. Well, that's the problem. I think that really that's my problem with four in general is that in the first book, he seems so great. But then in the second, he, he doesn't so listen to Triss. He doesn't listen to her when she tries to talk to him, and then she, like, shuts him out, and then they don't communicate to each other the rest of the time. Yeah. I mean, Triss is a very stubborn character, though, which we see in the first book. So, like, I understand her not listening when he was trying to tell her stuff because as someone that's like, hey, do the dishes, if someone said, hey, do the dishes, even though I was planning to do it anyway – I would then not do it because right. someone told me to. But they don't but like neither of them try to even understand the other person's point of view, I feel like. Yeah, and- they got really comfortable in thinking that they were on the same page the entire time, mm-hmm. which was their downfall and why I weep at the end of the third book. And he's much older than her and he still doesn't – Not much older. I think he's only like – Three or four years, right? Right, but when you're 16 – I think he's four years. But when you're 16 and he's 20 – Yeah. That's like a good chunk of time. Like he should – he's in the wrong, I feel like, in that – in the later books. Um, Well, again, he comes from a home of abuse. That's true. And – that kind of maturation that comes with that is different at different levels, I feel like. So he's a very adult character, but then emotionally he is still kind of young, um, even though he's like really intelligent and can understand 
where people are coming from and what they might do. Because he and Tris connect so well, they both have to learn from each other. And they're they're not in a time, like they don't have time to learn each other. They're both still like that ticking time bomb trying to stop the the genocide that happens at the end of the first book. And then in the second book, they're trying to like get everyone on the same page, like the whole factions about like what's going down, what's trying to happen. And then by the third book, they just, it's all so go, go, go all of the time. And there's so many things that they didn't talk about that at that point, it just kind of falls apart, which is so sad. But I would say overall, I mean, four is definitely sexy and he's tough and he's badass, but Mm. he's also so, Julia, don't hate me as I say this, but no promises. I know that this is like a a big moment of the book where he sort of opens up about himself, but he's so dramatic about it <laughs> that I just like chuckle when he's like, <laughs> he's like, he shows her his tattoos and he has a tattoo for every single faction. And mm-hmm. he's like, I don't want to just be brave. I want to be selfless and honest and smart and peaceful or whatever it is. I'm like, you need to take a deep breath. <laughs> no one's talked to him that long. He can't help it. <laughs> uh, they're both very dramatic characters. <laughs> that part just really makes me laugh every time I read it. That's fair. That's fair. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> It's just funny. Well, I mean, the whole reason he does it is because uh, Triss got uh, a a tattoo of her former faction of Abnegation, their symbol, as well as a Dauntless symbol. And so, like, she basically said it first, and then he repeated the words, but it was like, I went further because it's on my back and I have all five of them. I see your two, but I did five. <laughs> and I up you five. Um, but it's not like a competition between them. He's just really excited to meet someone that also has that opinion. Yeah. Because in Dauntless, it's full of a bunch of meatheads. Like people that just throw themselves off of buildings. Classic. And so to meet someone that is also intelligent and calculating and like ready to go hard. In many different ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's a match made in heaven. If only they weren't really? both so hard-headed. Yeah. True, mm-hmm. true, true. Mm-hmm. So that's the romantic interests. Let's get into the antagonists. Mm, okay. um, Hunger Games is super, super simple in the first book. In Catching Fire and in Mockingjay, I feel like there are a lot more forces at play. But in The Hunger Games, it's the capital. The capital's the bad guy. Yeah. President Snow is evil. Like, But we don't even really meet President Snow in the first book. No. I mean, we hear from him, but we don't meet him. Yeah, we don't really get his character very much in the first book. But, I mean... I get that it's a big picture antagonist, but I don't like not having a face to people for the people that I'm supposed to hate in mm-hmm. the book. Like if I'm reading a book where there's an antagonist, I would rather have a face to it 
So then I can roll my eyes whenever they're speaking. Um, Interesting. Yeah. The capital just as a whole being really annoying makes it, I mean, it made it harder for me to grasp just how much, like how insidious it was. Like I could see it on the outside and I can understand it, but it isn't until we like get more into the people, more into like how their brains are thinking, how, how ingrained it is. Mm -hmm. Um, that it really hits home for me personally. Yeah, I get that. I think it's tricky because Suzanne Collins was writing a book about war. Like mm-hmm. that's, she told me, like, she didn't tell me. She oh, has, I was about to say, oh my God, she told you, you talked to her and then didn't tell me. <laughs> God, I would pee my pants if I ever got to talk to Suzanne Collins. Um, No, she wrote this trilogy about the way kids respond to war and how it affects their brains and Mm -hmm. um, the PTSD that they experience from that. Um, And I think having the hunger games sort of with this main antagonist being without a face, but you do get president snow. He is the face of the Capitol and you do hear from him a bit in the first book, but also just having like, that's how much a kid would know. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They have this, general fear and like in general they know that something's bad but then also once you're in the games you have like the careers which are the tributes from districts one and two right right um, and four but they don't really talk about that they mention it briefly but four four is the technology one and four is the fishing district oh right and basically districts one and two um train at a school to become really good at killing and then they volunteer. So basically they're like the people to look out for and they are vicious. They're vicious. So quick side note, if they volunteer, if you have more than one volunteer per male or female, how do they pick? How do they pick? That is a good question. I've thought about this. I imagine they just give it to the first person who volunteers. How would they notice? Like they have to race to the front or because there's so many people, like so many kids standing together. For those districts, they do say that they wait until the last year. So it's always. Oh, it's always uh, 18 year olds. It's always 18 year olds because you have to like finish the school or like you do all of the training. You do the six years of training. And then it's always like the graduating class. That's so up. then what do the other 18-year-olds do? Are they just assassins? Is it just a, a district full mm-hmm. of people that know how to murder? Like it I is. imagine that the men probably become peacekeepers. Oh, you're right. You're right. That makes sense. Would be my guess. But I don't know. Fun thing to think about, though. <laughs> yeah. Something that yeah. I didn't think about until talking to you now. <laughs> I don't even think we discussed this in the other episode that we recorded. Of this. I don't think so. This is I nice. don't think we did. Yeah. Good chat. Yeah. I mean, I didn't listen to it because you couldn't hear me and I didn't have the audio. So right. This is all new. So the main antagonist for Divergent is kind of like a bullseye, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of levels of antagonism. I think the first one, probably the closest one would be Peter. Because he is a fellow initiate. He literally is sleeping in the same room 
as Trish and all at Trish's and all of the other initiates, um, which is as close as you can get, quite honestly, and that's terrifying. Oh, yeah. um, Peter is a transfer from Erudite. No, from Candor. He's from Candor. Yeah. And he's one of those very brutal Candors. Um, and one of Triss's friends, Christina, who also came from Candor, at one point tells Triss, you know, Peter is really, really brutal because he'll get people to say something and they'll get into a fight about it and then he'll lie, which is something you're not supposed to do. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So he like intentionally goads people and then gets them in trouble by lying about it, which I mean, if you're living in candor, you're assuming everyone is telling the truth. And if Peter is like the golden boy and, and just all of this stuff. So he is really malicious. Um, And then we have the newest leader of the Dauntless faction, Eric, Mm -hmm. who in the movie is really weird he kind of reminds me of macklemore <laughs> just in terms oh my of, god of base like he looks like a punk macklemore um with like gauges and lip rings and tattoos which i mean i guess i haven't seen a recent picture of him so i don't know what macklemore actually looks like nowadays <laughs> but i just i don't think he had that when he was doing like thrift shop <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry we're going to get, like, a bunch of pictures of Macklemore now. Be like, I hope so. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but Eric is the leader. So he's, like, the next level out from the bullseye where he isn't intentionally trying to make just Triss's life horrible. But he is training the initiates, both the Dauntless Born and the ones that have transferred in. And yeah. he's... He's teaching teaching them in a very, very brutal way. He is basically no mercy, where Four was offered the job as a Dauntless leader, and he decided he didn't want to do that because he saw that they were turning in that direction. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then Eric got it, and there's like a, a head-to-head between Four and Eric because they're from the same class the yeah. same training class and four got top of class and Eric was the second in line, um, which creates its own conflict between them because four is like another one of the, the training teachers. And then there's Eric who is pushing them to basically knock each other out. He's, mm-hmm. he's pushing them to their very extreme limits. And four is over here like trying to not undermine him, but also remind him that you can't stress a body that much without it breaking, without right. people literally breaking and dying. Um, and Eric's just like, I don't care. They're going to learn how to be cold murderers by the end of this. Very tough to read. Mm-hmm. But then the final circle being the erudite, um, which Eric is a transfer from Eric is a transfer from erudite, which you don't really learn until later in the book. And it's, they're trying to take over and they're using the dauntless to do it. They mm-hmm. are the ones they develop these serums that are full of microchips. So yep, great. So antagonists, P 
Peter, then Eric, then just overall erudite. Yeah. Thanks. Nice. Um, the trials of yes. the books. These characters go through trials. They do, literally. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to sort of talk about all of, all of it. I'm going to do my tri- mm-hmm. the trials and the tribulations, as they okay. say. <clears throat> so basically, once Katniss volunteers for her sister, Prim, she's sent to Pan Am, and she has to train amongst all of the other districts. And this part's always really interesting to me because in the book, it's like a really intense period of time. Mm-hmm. It's like a good chunk of pages. It's like a month. Yeah. It's, it's where, a very long time. Where they're training. And in the movie, it's like 10 minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> which I get. I get Movie it. magic. They I only needed it. one session. Yeah. But in the book, it's a really long time. So she's learning how to like make medicine and make all of these complicated traps and knots and like do hand-to-hand combat. And it's also the time where you get to really know the other tributes. Like people are already forming alliances and people are already starting to fight with one another. And it's like really fear-based. It's also where we first get to see Rue, which is nice because Katniss like immediately connects with her. And that's like fairly tense for her. For me, that's always like a more interesting part of the book, but Katniss is like analyzing everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> during the training session. Well, it's really cool too because it goes over like the survival stuff that they deem appropriate mm-hmm. and just how other people choose other stuff. And with Katniss noticing everything, she obviously makes use of that information. Katniss is so observant. I mean, if she ever wanted to, she would be a great writer. Because she really just notices everything that people do and say. I think PETA would be the great writer. She, PETA, they, would, they would be co-authors. They could Katniss be co-authors. would speak and PETA would write it out in a very flowery way. Oh, my gosh. They should write a book. Okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and then basically the thing that you wait for is the games itself. And it's literally so exciting. I could read a hundred different books about a hundred different Hunker games. I could. It's just like, so it's so exciting to me. I just love reading about it. I'm like, what kind of an arena is it going to be? What's going to happen? Who's going to be friends with who? It's just so, it's so interesting to me. I love it. I love reading about the games. Katniss is trying to keep away from certain tributes and then her alliance with Rue in the middle. And I just love it. And so much happens when she's in the arena. Like Mm -hmm. you kind of forget my brain sort of goes to like, she becomes friends with Rue. Rue dies, unfortunately, spoiler alert. Um, They can't all live. (laughs) And I love that we say spoiler alert after after. we've said the spoiler. (laughs) This book has been out since 2008. bad about that. I know. Um, Sorry, you guys. Whatever. And then she falls in love with Peta, but so much more happens. Like she gets hit with a fireball. So she's like unable to use her leg for a good portion of it. Yeah. Um, she, she has, uh, what happens with her ear? Something happens where yeah. she's like deaf in one of her ears. Yeah. And they don't ever talk about it in the movies, but in the books, <laughs> her and Rue create a plan to destroy all of the food and supplies that the career have to like make it an even playing field because there's no way they're going to win if the careers can eat anything and 
Right. If they're just hanging out at the cornucopia with yeah. all of the stuff that got left. Like, they have it made. They can just wait it out. Precisely. So they make a plan, and basically Rue creates distractions. They go off to see what it is, and Katniss is going to get rid of it. So there's a series of landmines around the items, and Katniss shoots an arrow to trigger the landmines, and she goes deaf in one of her ears. Um, Well, she's deaf in general. She can't hear for like a few hours. Mm-hmm. Like in yeah, the book. it's a while, doesn't she? Like she pulls herself up into a tree. Yeah, um, she has to hide because she like can't orient herself. She's like mm-hmm. completely shaken and she can't hear anything. And then when she finally can, and she goes to find Rue, Rue has been trapped in a net. And then, mm-hmm. as Katniss saves her, unfortunately, she dies. But yes, can um, I give you a theory that I have? About the Hunger Games, Love about a theory. One, of, one of the uh, contestants in it. Interesting. I have a theory as well, so I'm curious yeah. here. Yes. I wonder if it's the one that I talked about uh, when we first did this, because this is still a very interesting theory to me. Um, Fox Face. I oh, don't I think this is the same theory. Probably. I, I don't. About. I don't remember which district she's from, but it really doesn't matter. She throughout um the training she has observed Katniss Katniss Mm -hmm. has observed her there's a theory that she was in love with Katniss I don't know that I would go that far but she was in her own silent way trying to help Katniss I do believe that yeah Um, because because yeah through Foxface that's how Katniss knows that there's landmines around the cornucopia because she does like these weird jumps to get to it, right? Like that mm-hmm. happens in the book. And then later, when she ends up dying, it's because PETA like picked the wrong berries. Mm-hmm. And that's why Katniss sort of shrugs it off because she's like, oh, she was so clever. She only ate those because she saw you were picking them. But we see her in the movie and in the book. That's what she's good at. Mm-hmm. Is like she what, knows what's edible and what's not. What's edible and what's not. Like that's from her district. That's that's her strength. Is she's like a scavenger, and she's very very clever. Mm-hmm. So I I don't I don't think she's in love with her. I think that's a nice thing that teenagers want to believe, and that's totally fine. Like that's very sweet. I think what it is in reality is that Foxface knows that she cannot win. She she will never win into in a hand to hand combat, and that's the end game. Is no matter how you get around it, you're always going to have to fight somebody. Well, and, isn't it also? Sorry to interrupt. At that point in the games, wasn't it also announced that if the winners, if the two remaining people are from the same district, yes, then they can both win. Then they can both win. So she knows that Katniss and Peta can win, and that they have a a friendship or a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. She knows that they care about one another. And I think that she throws the game so that they can win. And also I think it's really important to note that Foxface waits until the very last moment. Cause my, Mm -hmm. my guess, she could have done something like that at any time, but she waits until there's only the Katniss, Peta, um, Cato and, um, the gentleman from District 11. Oh, shoot. Um, um, 
thrush yes yes that is correct um um yeah but i feel like maybe she also waited because she knew that Peta didn't know yeah and then she also saved his life Mm -hmm. like this was her trying to save them in multiple ways even though katniss saw it immediately um but Peta obviously didn't know that they were poison berries right Peta. oh Um, Peta. stick to baking that's like one of my favorite fan theories. I kind of love it. Yeah, I, I do too. I think it's very sweet. I think it adds a lot of dimension to the character. And I can totally see that as being like canon, as like that's what Suzanne Collins meant to do. So we talked about the training and the tributes and sort of the games themselves, but yeah. keep going with it. Was there more that you had? Um, Gosh, I'm trying to think. I think just in general, more information about the games. And I think it's really important to remember this, especially as Julie and I were talking about Katniss and Peta's relationship, is that everybody's watching this and you can earn money from sponsors. So Katniss believed that Peta was doing this as well, but they form a relationship with one another to be the star-crossed lovers right? People are going to root for that. They're going to give you money. These two young kids falling in love, it gave them hope to survive. And so the sponsor saw that and would give them food, medicine, different items into the arena to keep them alive longer. Um, In the movie, it's much less, but in the book, they literally get a feast. It's like, where's the Thanksgiving meal (laughs) that these these kids got? That's true. Don't they? (laughs) Wait. Okay. Is it the one in the cave? Yeah. They get to like eat a bunch of dang food in the cave. And they're in the cave for like five days because it's mm-hmm. raining. And so they just eat food and they kiss and they talk. And it's pure. It's pure energy. It's quite a reprieve from the rest of the book. Yes, Because it is. it is not as gentle. It's one of the moments that grounds the book for sure. Because mm-hmm. it's definitely not realistic in any way you read the book and it's immediately like this is a terrible place we live in terrible things are happening and now i'm in this arena and it's terrible and it's a moment that really brings you it makes you relate to the situation and the Mm -hmm. characters is like these young people falling in love with each other i get really grossed out but also enjoy the moment where she's like getting all of the grossness out of his leg because like that's why they're in the cave Mm -hmm. because he has a severely infected leg wound and she has to like squeeze all of the pus out of it it's disgusting it's disgusting it's (laughs) disgusting but it's so so gross um but yeah do you have any other questions about the games i feel like i covered a great deal of it i don't know that i have questions i mean i really like when katniss turns it on its head because yeah. they they tried turning the tables and then she turned them right back. Yes. So this is a spoiler. So if you don't want to know, skip ahead. Basically, the people in charge of the games say that both members of a district can leave together. So Katniss and Peta can leave together. Katniss and Peta defeat the mutants and Gale. I'm not Gale. Kato. <laughs> like, Freudian <what>? slip. <laughs> Um, Bye, Gail. <laughs> defeat Cato, and it's the two of them left. And then basically, the people in charge say, "Oh, just kidding. One of you has to die," which is insanely rude. 
And, and Peta being Peta is just like, kill me. You deserve to live. Mm-hmm. Which is ridiculous, but I get it. I mean, she has to take care of her family. He doesn't have that, but it's still sad and heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And then Katniss says, well, I have the berries, the poison berries that Foxface ate and died. So we'll take them at the same time and we'll die mm-hmm. together. Yep. Yep. They even got as far as like putting them in their mouths. Yes. They were. And then they're like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. It's fine. Right. We'll, we'll just do two winners. One of my favorite moments in the book is as they're about to do it and Peta touches her braid. That's like what he did as they were about to die. And there's something just so sad about that to me and so, so beautiful. Because he talks about how he like fell in love with her from like he noticed her braids right away. Like that's the mm-hmm. thing that he noticed about her. <sighs> and then Hamish being like, on, I mean, he was always on their side. Hamish is just Hamish. Um, but then like right after when they're sucked back up into the Capitol and he mm-hmm. like is immediately with Katniss. He doesn't have to coach PETA on this, but he's like, Katniss, this is the reason you did this. Not to get back at the Capitol, but mm-hmm. because you both of you are in love. You need to sell that now. And it's just, it's crazy. The amount of manipulation that needs to happen in these oh, books yeah. is insane. So moving into Divergent, yes. Trials, Tribulations, we have the choosing ceremony. Once mm-hmm. you're 16, there's one day every year that ev- all of the 16-year-olds, they take a test. And mm-hmm. this test tells them what uh, which faction they would be a good match for basically most of them are usually a good match for the faction that they come from but sometimes the test tells them oh you know this is the other faction like this this Mm -hmm. faction is a better fit for you tris spoilers not really gets three answers in her test which is completely unheard of like it's it's lucky for her that the person proctoring the test for her had a brother who was divergent. Mm-hmm. So that's what that means when you uh, can where you where your morals match more than one faction. Mm-hmm. Yes, and where your brain can do more than just one faction. Um, and so Tris learns that she's divergent, and the proctor had a brother who was also divergent. Yes. But her brother, because she was from Dauntless, was killed. Like, that's a big thing. Divergent are being hunted down. It's very secret, but that's what's happening. And so the proctor is like, you cannot tell anyone, anyone, not even your parents, not even your diary. You can't tell anyone that you are divergent. Um, Keep a low profile. Go home. And just don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you're not supposed to tell people what your results are anyway. Right. But, like, hers now have deadly consequences. Yeah. So yes. she – yeah. She goes home and her brother asks her. He's like, I didn't see you at the end of the test. What was your result? And they have a really interesting relationship. She is, like, convinced that he is completely selfless. He is completely abnegation. And Mm -hmm. she just doesn't feel like she fits in with her current faction. And so he asks her and she's like, well, I can't tell you, but what was yours? And (laughs) and 
he's like, well, I can't tell you either. And then they split <laughs> and, and we're just like, oh, okay. So Great. They're, ta- <laughs> they're taking it seriously. We get to the choosing ceremony the next day and Tris's mom is like, I'll love you no matter what, mm-hmm. um, whatever you choose, because her mom is very perceptive, but her moms are very perceptive. I feel like just in general. Mm-hmm. So she knows that her daughter probably isn't going to stay in abnegation and she just wants to enforce, hey, yeah, whatever you choose, I still love you. Um, which is so sweet. Very. And Caleb, this is the weirdest thing about the the choosing ceremony, actually. <laughs> which I'm sorry for laughing. It's just one of the stupidest things in my brain where it in order for Beatrice to go after Caleb, you had to do the choosing ceremony in reverse alphabetical mm-hmm. order. <laughs> and, and like the fact that it was written in the book, they go in reverse alphabetical order just oh. because she wanted Beatrice to go. I was after like, why? Just name her something else or name him oh, something else. It was. So funny, right? Like name him Adam or something. It's not give that him, hard. Give him an A name if you want it. It was just right. the weird. Like who goes in reverse alphabetical order? Um, um the people of Divergent Land. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they do that. Her brother, who goes first, picks erudite, which surprises Tris. And then she's like, oh God, now no children are going to be there. And so we have like the worried thought for a hot second that she's going to go back to abnegation. And then she like chooses Dauntless and goes that way. Then the next trial for it is she has to jump on to a moving train and then off of the moving train onto the roof (laughs) of a building And there are people, there are initiates that chose Dauntless that don't make it. Like, this is one of the first deaths that we see. We don't Mm -hmm. have a named character. But as they're, like, jumping off of the train, someone doesn't jump in time. And they fall through the air and are then suddenly a puddle on the cement below. Um, Which is terrifying. It's horrifying, Uh, yeah. Yeah. So then for that to happen, and then they have to jump off of the building into a dark pit that they don't know what's at the bottom of is just a whole new level of crazy. (laughs) Like all of this stuff, you're suddenly in like the fight of fight or flight and you have to just constantly be doing something new with your bodies. And like there are some people like Tris who hasn't worked out a day in her life. Like who (laughs) – None of none of them, none of the other the transfers have been trained or like built to do this stuff. So they are at a disadvantage. And Tris realizes this and wants to set herself apart from the crowd, knowing that she is one looked down upon because she is abnegation um, and abnegation because they are selfless. Also dress really drab. And so people tend to make fun of them because they're just, they look ugly, which is really rude, quite honestly. Um, Peter is one of the main antagonists, like antagonizers of that. Yes. She, Tris, 
jumps off of the building first and luckily lands on a net where she sees four for the first time. And Ooh, la la. It's, it's the funniest bit of of lines. It's so funny because immediately you know that there's chemistry there because he asks, what's your name? Uh, and she pauses and he's like, don't think too hard. <laughs> and and um, then is like, hey, you can tell you can remake yourself here basically and so then she tells him her new name is tris and he's like all right great first jumper is tris and she just goes from that from mm-hmm. now on or by that which is just the funniest thing where he just don't think too hard about it um that's sass honestly it is sass there's so many funny sassy moments like at one point they joke about like tris jokes about peter killing her Mm -hmm. and the dauntless having a funeral and um four says he would only go if there's cake (laughs) i'm like yeah that's fair uh i can see that um but she's the first jumper she threw the then initiation process doesn't do too great in the first Mm -hmm. round of it because she's a small person but she gains a lot of muscle, which is really cool. Like she notices the transformation, um, gets a couple tattoos. Then in the second round, jumps past everyone because she is divergent, which then um, four takes incredibly seriously because yeah. he is also, spoilers, divergent. Um, but he's not as strong. He doesn't have as strong of a divergence that Trist does. Mm-hmm. And um, so he sees that she needs to like chill a bit. She needs to like kind of slow her role in the second round because it's all mental stuff. And because she's divergent, she's able to find the best solution faster than other people, mm-hmm. which is tough for her. But she stays at the top for that and kind of has like a thing on her back now. A point on her back a, a target a target yes yeah i was gonna say an arrow and i was like that's not correct <laughs> um, she has a target on her back now for a few different reasons um both from the peter circle and from the eric circle like the leaders are trying to poach her because she's really good at that yes and they don't quite see that she's divergent yet and peter has the arrow because she's doing better than him and he hates her um, <laughs> and so he and Albert and one other person, I don't remember his name, they try killing Triss. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the initiation, all of the initiates and all of the Dauntless are getting these shots injected into their necks, which uh, are like a new sort of serum. I forget how they market it, but basically everyone has to get it. Yeah. And if you're divergent, it doesn't work on you. And so, like, later that night, Triss is awoken by all of these zombie mm-hmm. movements coming from the fellow initiates that are now being controlled by the erudite. They're going to go and wipe out the entire abnegation sector. Um, yeah. And and when Triss finds that it doesn't work on her, she has to go and find four 
because she doesn't know if he's divergent or not. That's the biggest thing until this moment when they see each other, like standing, pretending to be zombies on the train, um, where we, we suddenly have the relief that four is divergent. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work on him. Um, and then they fight, they fight for all of that stuff and it gets crazy. It's intense. I mean, it's like, it's like over a hundred pages. I feel like the end scene. Oh yeah. It it goes for a very long time. There are so many different like levels of betrayal and of the, the war that is happening now between the factions. Um, yeah, it gets really crazy. Yeah. But it's like such a good end battle. I feel like it gets a little bit long. When like four gets then the new serum. Right. The new new serum where they're like, okay, this is going to work on Divergent now. Yes. Um, And so then he's the one controlling the simulation. Tris has to like break him out of it basically, which she, she does do, but it is a harrowing moment for everyone involved. It really is. And then Peter's there. Freaking Peter somehow survives. Uh, there's a funny moment that I, that I would like to share if I may. Please. Yes. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. I have a bunch of stuff marked and then I also have stuff dog eared. <laughs> okay. I found it. So okay. this is what I would like to share. It it says, let's go. I say, get up, Peter. You want him to walk? Caleb demands. Are you insane? And then Tris says, did I shoot him in the leg? I say, no. He walks. And I'm just like, oh, Dang. man. She shot him in the arm. And her brother is just like, you don't have to be violent about it. And she's like, yeah, get up. He's being a giant baby right now, um, which he was. But it's funny because there are a couple of points in, like, the final battle where she does shoot people. She shoots Eric, I think, in the foot. and. Yeah. And he goads her. He's like, what are you going to do? Shoot me? And then she does and is surprised. Like, you can't ask people if they're going to do something and then be surprised when they actually do it. You basically asked for that. It's like, what are you going to do? Slap a pie in my face? And then you get a pie in your face? You can't be surprised. Like, that's on you. To be fair, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So then Peter did the same thing and she shot him in the arm. Which, I mean, good for her. I support that. You know, if someone's actually asking you for it, then you probably should. It was like a really badass move, though. It was. I appreciated it. And I just loved the moment where her brother's just like, you want him to walk? She's like, I didn't shoot him in the leg. Like, yes, he can walk. That wasn't my problem. Right. Uh, It's so funny. Um, And then by the end of book one, they're on a train with two awful people three awful people actually it's tris and four and then three people that are the bane of this series existence and they're going to amity which is a weird choice well they have to flee there's nowhere else for them to go right now i get that and i get that amity is like far out where they might be able to like have some sort of help from them it's just one of those things where it's like yeah. amity is not the place for tris and four well that's true or me also true <laughs> they got a deal they got yeah deal yeah maggie tell me about 
the characters that keep life interesting. Some okay. of our secondary characters of the Hunger Games. I think the secondary characters really make it an incredible series. I mean, first of all, Hamish. And I, I love Hamish. He is the mentor for Katniss and Peeta. He is so angry at the world and mm-hmm. sarcastic and has this biting humor. Mm-hmm. I, he's incredible. And he's always drunk. He's always just drunk. like constantly kind of awful to be around. But and he's played by Woody Harrelson, which I think <laughs> is so funny. Like I it's just such a good casting. The casting in general is incredible, but Woody Harrelson not, as not that I think it. Woody Harrelson would be awful to be around. I don't think no. he would. I think he's probably a delight. I know. If I had to guess. Um Cinna, who is a national treasure. He is in the Capitol. So you would think that he's going to be like this flamboyant Capitol makeover Mm -hmm. person to like help make up Katniss as she's presented to the president and the people. Um, Basically it was his job to make her look good for, so she could get money from sponsors and to make an impression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he told her, and it's in the movie, but it's in the book too that his goal wasn't to make her look pretty, but to have her make an impression. And he gives her an outfit that looks like it's on fire, which is how she becomes the girl on fire. So cool. It's so cool. And he's so down to earth and he's so like the person that Katniss needs in -hmm. that moment of her life. Um, He's really, really good to her and doesn't push her. He knows that she's already in like a, very tense situation and he doesn't push her. He like is just there for her. Mm-hmm. And I think it's incredible. I mean, honestly, I even love Effie. Effie Trinket, who's she like She has her moments. Basically, what would you call her? Like their PR person. Yeah. Her their manager. Um, but she's so funny. Oh, uh, she's terrible, but she cracks me up. Effie and Hamish scenes are so funny to me. Just the they fact really that are. She is the complete opposite of Hamish. Absolutely. But both of them want the same outcome. Yes. Like they both want the kids to survive. Which is what I think is so interesting about their dynamic Mm -hmm. is it's like you have the same idea, but you grew up in two different schools of thought. Now what's Mm going to happen to you? Yeah. Together we will succeed. Yeah. It's good. What about you, Julia? So (laughs) there's Christina who is – Tris's best friend. Mm-hmm. Christina is similar in like an Effie way almost, but like a bit more down to earth, I guess. Yeah. Actually, Christina is played by Zoe Kravitz. Yes. Right. And Cinna is played by her father in The Hunger Games. Uh, it's just, I thought that was very funny. But Christina is very cool. She draws Tris out of her shell. And while she does, she is kind of a judgy character because she came from candor. So they're all judgy yeah. people. Um, but she does it in a way that doesn't necessarily make Tris feel like she's less than like she mm-hmm. does it in, in a legitimate friendly way in like a teasing way that, that gets 
Tris out of her bubble. And even when Tris is like, I don't really know if I want to do this thing. And Christina is like, okay, well just come with me anyway. And then she ends up doing the thing and it's, it's very cool. Their friendship is nice. And I wish that it didn't go the way that it went. And then there's Uriel who is like the first that he's like the, the top of the dauntless side of the initiates mm-hmm. so they separate the transfers and the dauntless born and uriel is really cool he brings tris under his wing and is just very fun he's just a really fun character for all of the seriousness that happens he brings levity to the book yeah and he's just kind of bridges the gap between um he helps bridge the gap because I think Beatrice or Tris is the one that ends up doing it mm-hmm. ultimately yeah. because she is the one that is like friends now with the Dauntless Born and the transfers and Uriel's the one that starts that. So yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like I've mentioned it a little bit, but just to talk about the continuation of the series, as I've read the rest of them, Catching Fire is a perfect book. It, I, it really is. I like the arena in Catching Fire. Yes. The arena is genius. The additional characters add so much more to the story. Um, Finnick, Johanna, like they're so, so good. And you get so much more world building in the beginning portion. Katniss finds out more about District 13 and the uprising. And when her and Peta go from district to district on their arena tour, she gets to like see the families and like see how people are living in every single district. So the world building is incredible. Her character development is really, really good in this book. Like she grows up a lot more and she's so much more forthright about her intentions and that she like really allows herself to fall for PETA when she's in the arena the second time. And the plot twists and the manipulation. Wow. Did not see it coming the first time I read it, and it was truly a whirlwind experience. Mockingjay is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's bad. Um, It's boring. And I will say, Suzanne Collins set out to write a trilogy about the way kids are affected by war. And I see that in the third book. I see her intentions. I think that she did what she set out to do. But in my mind... It is just not as good as the first two. It is a bit convoluted when they go to storm the Capitol. And I think a lot of things happen that just weren't necessary. It focuses too much on a love triangle that isn't there. Katniss chose PETA in Catching Fire. And now we're supposed to just believe that that didn't happen. Yeah. And it was split into two movies, which is ridiculous. Oh, that was in the age (laughs) when everything was splitting into two movies. I hated it. (laughs) Harry Potter 7. Yeah, but uh, Harry Potter needed to be split into Breaking two. Dawn, uh, Hobbit yeah. got split into three. God, we just can't even, we can't even begin. And the prequel is very well written, but just not what I wanted. Okay, okay. And that's my analysis of the rest of the books. Yeah, um, my analysis will not be as distinguished between the books Mm. because when I read Divergent, I usually then immediately read Insurgent and Allegiant right after that. Yeah, I will say that we don't talk about the third book. 
No. We don't talk about the ending of the third book. It is awful. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. It just, my heart is breaking right now. Yes. They're very good. They're very easy to read. When I, the last time I read all three of them, I read all three in three days. Like I did one per day. Yeah. And it was also like while I was on tour. So obviously I had a bit of time to do it, but I also didn't have a bit of time to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just very addictive books and they're very easy to read. The dialogue is what makes it for me. And you do get more like concrete world building through each of the books. Like you, you do get more and more each time. Right. There is a novella called Four, and it's just a bunch of short stories about Four, and it is, it's it's the cutest thing. I like it. I mean, but I also love Four. Um, Yeah. And so, of course, I'm gonna love a book entirely devoted to him. Yep. Movie adaptation. How Um, was it? It's never going to be perfect because <laughs> because the books take place entirely in Katniss's mind. It's just mm-hmm. flooded with her imagery and her thoughts and her feelings. And unless you want to do a voiceover, which is a really bad tone to take <laughs> with these films, I really think they did a good job. I do. And as someone who is now studying screenwriting, I'm you, I realize you got to make choices and you got to make yeah. sacrifices. And what they stuck with is the characters are true to how they are in the book. And they stuck with the themes and they stuck with the tone of the book. And I think they did the best they could, considering they had to get it down into two hours. And perfectly cast, okay? The casting is really, really good. Yeah, I could agree with that. You know, it's just Liam Hemsworth as Gail. Incredible. He just looks like someone... Who'd be named Gail? Who would be named Gail? <laughs> uh, so the Divergent movies are complete garbage. They're trash. But they're redeeming qualities. Theo James is four. Okay. And the music. The music mm. is so good. The score for Divergent is so good. It's by uh, Junkie XL. And they do a lot of action movies. They do a lot of like the, like all of those big noises that happen when stuff drops. Um, They do most of those types of scores. Yeah. Um, And it's beautiful. But they did fix the ending. Uh, By fix, I mean, they didn't really, they changed the ending of Mm. the movies to be what people wanted the books to have. Which is a choice, Whoa. but I feel like it wouldn't, these books wouldn't be as uh, loved as they are now if it had the ending that we wanted it to. Yeah. I mean, I don't agree with its ending, but I would never change it. But they did. The movie yeah. has changed the ending. Julia, any final thoughts to give the people? Final thoughts. I still th- like Divergent more than Hunger Games. And I still like Hunger Games more than Divergent. And And I know that I'm in the minority. It's okay. You can be in the minority. And we really just gave the people an opportunity to decide for themselves because we literally told them everything there is to know. Mm -hmm. I have to say something. What? That I meant to say at the beginning of the episode. What's wrong? There's a typo on 
our Divergent and Hunger Games post. No! It's on the actual image, so I can't change it. What did you do, Julia? I spelled Veronica's name wrong. It's Veronese. Veronese? (laughs) Go like the photo. Just go like it. Just to let me know that everyone is going to see this because I'm embarrassed by it, but I want everyone to see. How did both of us not notice? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Yes. So that happened. That happened. And I am incredibly embarrassed by it. You should be. (laughs) But I'm not taking it down. (laughs) No, we can't take it down. It's out. There's too many people that commented on it that like I don't want to delete their comments. They took time out of their day to yeah. yeah, but I thought that was really funny. Do you have any book recommendations? Gosh, I don't have any ready because in reality when I was in high school I would read Hunger Games and then I would read Divergent. Mm-hmm. Just because they were like two sides of the same coin. I mean if you want a dystopian trilogy, these are the best two. You could mm-hmm. also do matched. That's another dystopian trilogy. About 16-year-olds. I would say that Divergent would be what I would recommend for people after Hunger Games. Yeah. I have a couple of books. So like for a Hunger Games suggestion to delve into fantasy, I feel like a similar character to Katniss is A Court of Thorns and Roses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that matches pretty well. I also think The Gilded Ones by Namina Forna. Mm-hmm. Which is a solid next book um, just because they have like a ceremony that all 16-year-olds take place in and kind of go from there. It gets kind of crazy. Their society gets crazy. Um, and Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. Mm, nice. Yeah. Well, I think Julia, all of those would be cool. Way to be prepared and come in with some recommendations. We it was it. actually really hard to come up with other recommendations though. Like I – if I hadn't stared at my bookshelf for like 10 minutes, I yeah. probably would have said the same thing you did. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for supporting me. Of course. Well, with that, Julia, we heckin' did it. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you loved what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family members. And if you're listening with Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. And if you aren't already, subscribe to our Patreon. We release extra content pretty much every week. And if you're in certain tiers, you even get merch. I tried saying that really weird. Yeah, you really did. (laughs) (laughs) You can also choose to buy us a book, which is a one-time donation option available through PayPal, which can be found in our link tree on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. And if you have any book suggestions or questions, feel free to DM us on Instagram or email us at novelfindspodcast at gmail.com. Our email, Patreon, and Instagram handle can be found in our bio. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you all next week. Two weeks. Two weeks. In two weeks. We'll see you all in two weeks. Bye. Bye.